Charlton's like, no, I'm not doing anything now, man. <laughs> <sighs> Do we make him mad at us? Hey, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams, and welcome to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Thanks for being here, uh, as you always are. And if you're not, why not? Anyway, so it's Tuesday. Uh, one subject, one show. Uh, talking about things we all sort of dread paying for. Insurance, it is a big business, critical part of uh, housing market and our economy. And also, oh, by the way, climate change. So that's what we're going to talk about. Yes, uh, there's data that shows the insured losses from extreme weather disasters will exceed $100 billion for the second year in a row. And that's not even including all the people who are uninsured, but different show. And in one state in particular, that situation is extra, extra messy. Of course, we are talking about Florida, which is where Marketplace senior correspondent Amy Scott has been reporting for the latest season of the How We Survive podcast all about the climate crisis in South Florida, and she joins us now. Hey, Amy. Hey, you two. So, I mean, just what I said, why is Florida's insurance market so messy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not exactly for the reasons you might think. I mean, yes, there's climate risk. Florida has more landfalling hurricanes than any other state. Hmm. That's always been a risk of living there. Um, But storms are getting more destructive because of climate change and a boom in coastal development that just keeps putting more people in harm's way. Um, But a lot of people say the bigger problem in the Florida insurance market is actually even more directly human made, and that is fraud and litigation. There have been a lot of problems with contractors in the state selling new roofs to people saying they've been damaged by storms who may not necessarily need them, and then billing insurance companies. Those claims often get battled out in court, and regulators say that Florida accounts for less than 10% of all homeowner insurance claims in the country, but about 80% of lawsuits, which is just staggering. Um, And it's really expensive. Those costs get passed on to policyholders, And for homeowners in Florida, that means insurance that covers windstorm damage is getting a lot more expensive and getting harder to find. Several private insurers have actually gone out of business this year. Others are reducing their exposure in Florida, and that means that the state-backed insurer of last resort, Citizens, is picking up more and more policies, leaving taxpayers ultimately at risk. Okay, wait. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, but wait. So, but the Florida, you know, South Florida specifically, real estate market is is hot, right? I mean, it's going pretty well. Yes. Okay. I mean, well, 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 wait. But if 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 that's the case, and if the insurance industry is a mess, and if the water is coming up on the streets, as we've seen many a time, even at like high tides, forget about big storms. Why is the Florida real estate market so hot? I know. It it seems crazy, right? And that's kind of the driving question that started us off on this whole season. Uh, people still really want to live in Florida, and, and especially South Florida. Uh, people flocked there during the pandemic, in some cases because of the lax approach to COVID there, also the low taxes. There's no state income tax in mm-hmm. Florida. And even as the market has slowed down recently because of higher interest rates, prices in Miami are up about 25% from last year, according to the latest Case-Shiller numbers. Hmm. Um, And as we've reported, you know, a lot of this comes down to either 
denial or short-term thinking. Uh, officials in South Florida are operating on the assumption that they'll see about two feet or more sea level rise by 2060. Oh, wow. Which is a lot. That's a, yeah. Especially given that the average elevation in Miami is six feet. So it's pretty staggering, but I think that still feels far off to a lot of people. Um, despite, as you mentioned, Kai, the, the increases we've already be, been seeing in high tide, flooding, and storm surge. Um, and I think another key point is that even though the most popular mortgage is a 30-year mortgage, most people stay in their homes for more like eight years these days. And so they're thinking as long as that next buyer is there, you know, when you're ready to sell, people figure they'll come out okay. Hmm. You know, you can't like buy a house or sorry, you can't get a mortgage without insurance. And you're talking about right. it getting so much more expensive. But one of the things that's kept this market afloat, as you talk about in the podcast, is reinsurance, which is insurance <laughs> for insurance companies. How how does that fit in and, and how's it going? Yeah, we like to joke <laughs> on the show that if your eyes glaze over when we talk about insurance, wait till you hear about reinsurance. <laughs> um, but this is a really important part of the story because as you said, reinsurance is basically insurance for insurance companies. It helps them pay out big claims. And insurance companies in Florida have been a having a harder time getting reinsurance lately because of those same issues we talked about. That makes it harder to pay out claims and is another reason that some private companies have been going out of business and citizens, the state-backed insurer of last resort, actually went into this hurricane season under-reinsured. So there was a lot of concern that a really big storm could be devastating to the whole system. And of course, Florida did have a really big storm, Hurricane Ian, in September. Uh, but for a few reasons, citizens actually seems to have come out okay. And that's partly because it didn't have a big concentration of policies in southwest Florida where Ian, um, you know, really took the biggest toll. So what's the answer? If, if reinsurance isn't doing it, what do you do? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> that was a big sigh, Amy. <laughs> I have a long list. I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep it simple. So one thing is to really reform the, the the problems that we talked about with litigation. And the Florida legislature has been trying to pass reforms like targeting the the fees that attorneys can collect from those lawsuits, making it illegal for contractors to go to go door to door trying to sell new roofs. There's going to be another special session this month on that. Um, on the reinsurance side, one interesting possible solution we looked at are something called catastrophe bonds, uh, which are basically a way for insurance and reinsurance companies to spread some of their risk to investors in the capital markets. And it sounds kind of ghoulish, but investors are basically making money on risk. Mm -hmm. They'll buy a bond that's tied to some potential catastrophe. The money goes into a trust. And if the wind blows, they can lose all of that money. But if it doesn't, they get the money back plus a healthy premium. These have been around for a while, but could play a bigger role as more catastrophic events happen. Um, and then, of course, you know, the big solution we need to consider is not building and rebuilding in these risky areas yeah. and, and stop incentivizing people to keep doing yeah. that. Yeah. And some of the incentive is that insurance that right, does right, pay right, out right, right. pays you to right. rebuild in the spot right where, you where you're getting yeah. destroyed. Over exactly. 
<laughs> There's a I'm lot to fix of, here. <laughs> I'm kind of stuck on this idea of gambling on Mother Nature with these catastrophe bonds. And just anyway. What well, we happens? have a whole episode about it if you want to yes, hear more. I, it's a pretty do, interesting story. <laughs> um, what happens if we don't fix this problem? Well, I mean, the worst case scenario for Florida is that the housing market collapses uh, because people can't get insurance to get mortgages, which could take down the economy. I think real estate makes up about a quarter of the Florida economy. Um, but experts we talked to don't think this is going to happen, partly because citizens can cover its losses by charging fees to all policyholders in the state, um, which is kind of insane to think about. Like, even if you have, I think, an insurance policy on your boat, you could end up paying more um, if that came wow. to pass. But as insurance gets more expensive, I think you're just going to see more and more people struggling to live in Florida, except for the very wealthy who you know, don't need mortgages often. And so they don't need insurance. They're, the, the term for it is self-insured. Hmm. Can, can I ask you sort of a, a big picture question here uh, just on the way out? It, it kind of goes like this. So you've studied insurance in Florida and you've studied climate change in Florida. So let me ask you to combine those two things and take away Florida and ask you about insurance and climate change. Is the multi-trillion dollar insurance industry in this economy ready for climate change, do you think? I don't think so. Um, and one reason I say that is because the insurance industry, even with all the risk they face, are still investing billions of dollars in the fossil fuel industry, underwriting fossil fuel extraction. And activists say they need to stop doing that. I mean, not just to save us all, but, you know, for their, in their own financial interest. Some companies are starting to take steps in that direction. But, I mean, they could do a lot to draw down carbon emissions and prevent the worst effects of climate change while we still have a chance. Amy Scott, senior correspondent here at Marketplace, also the host of the podcast, How We Survive on Insurance and Climate Change in Florida and all those good things. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. You know, it boggles my mind that people are still buying houses in Florida, yeah. especially like, it, you know, at one point, my sister was like, oh, you know, maybe we should try to, like, pool resources and, and get, like, a family vacation home in Florida. Oh, man. I was like, no. I was like by the time that mortgage is done, right. it's going to be underwater. <laughs> right, right. Look, I mean, you could say the same thing about parts of California, too, which are, you Long know, tender, dry DC, and prone to, you know, fire. I mean, it's we're just not ready for this. We are just not bleeping ready. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm well, saying. Tell us if you feel like you're ready or let us know what you think. <laughs> I, actually, More broadly. I, would, I, I would really like to hear from somebody who thinks they are yeah. ready for climate change. I would really like that. I mean, we already have people moving because yep. of climate yep. change yep. to places they think are less vulnerable, which is, in effect, you know, kind of yeah. getting yeah. ready. Um, but seriously, let us know what you think, uh, your ideas, your strategies, uh, your existential dread. Our number is 508-827-6278, also known as 508-UB-SMART. Or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org, and we'll be right back. We all want to be our best selves but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist. 
and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. All right, time for the news fix. Kai, why don't you go first? All right, so uh, I am uh, looking, uh, well, always because it's my job, but um, (laughs) most specifically today uh, uh, at the supply chain. And there's a piece in the Financial Times pointing out gathering some string on logistics costs in the global supply chain. And I will just read you the first graph. Costs are beginning to fall throughout U.S. supply chains, easing inflationary pressures even as importers voice concern about China and COVID-19. So here's the deal. Hmm. Freight costs are falling, as we have talked about on Marketplace a couple of times in the last like week or 10 days. Rents are falling. They have pretty much rolled over now in a lot of cities. There are real signs that disinflation is coming. And I say that as a setup for the Fed's next meeting, which is December 13th and 14th, at which they are going to raise rates again. And Powell will say again, we need to see some signs that inflation is really easing. And I would suggest to the Fed chair, maybe we're seeing those signs. That's what I'm saying. Seeing the signs enough to stop raising rates, No, I I don't think we're seeing signs enough to stop raising rates, but I think certainly it's going to be a half a percentage point this time. So I think we can Mm -hmm. expect quarter point uh, increases, you know, for the foreseeable future. You know, I saw an interview with with Patrick Harker, who's the president of the Philadelphia Fed, and he had his staff do some research. And of the X hundreds of interest rate increases that the Fed has done over the years— Something like 90 plus percent of them have been a quarter of a percentage point, 25 basis points, Mm -hmm. right? So the four 75 basis point, three quarters of a percentage point cuts that the Fed has done this year is truly outsized. I mean, it's just it's disproportionate in its speed, in its um, uh, size of the rate increases. So I think you can look for the Fed to not stop raising rates, but slow down. That's what I'm saying. Slowing down. All right. Well, I have uh, probably something the opposite of slowing down, which is the rapid speed at which the Supreme Court is Mm. just blowing through precedent, or at least it looks to be. Um, So earlier this week, there was this case about um, whether or not a website designer in Colorado had to build wedding websites um, for LGBTQ plus couples. And it looks like the conservatives on the court are leaning, at least from the arguments, towards siding with her in that argument. We won't know, obviously, for a couple months. But I wanted to flag the case that's going to be argued tomorrow, which is just such 
a huge, huge deal. So we've talked about this a little bit before. This is the case that has to do with the independent state legislature mm -hmm. theory. And is the case is called Moore versus Harper, which is basically um, voting, voting rights advocates versus like North Carolina's General Assembly. So the independent state legislature concept is, or theory I should say, is this idea that because the Constitution specifically says that state legislatures are supposed to set election rules, that no other state entity can challenge those. So that means that, say, a state legislature decides or passes a law saying they get to pick all the slate of electors regardless of how people vote, that can't be challenged in state courts or election officials can't say that that's not allowed. And this is a really big, big deal. And all the voting rights advocates are very, very concerned about this, mm -hmm. saying that it could completely upend, you know, our elections and, and potential potentially democracy itself. Now, supporters of this theory say that the writers of the Constitution were very specific. They only name a couple of specific duties for state legislatures, and this is what they meant by it, and it's a fair interpretation. Most uh, modern scholars would vehemently disagree. Mm -hmm. um, but, the you know, there are several justices on the court that have already said they are, you know, talked about being amenable potentially to the idea. Yeah, and I think this is the um, the blockbuster case maybe out of this, just constitutionally speaking, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's going to be a big game. It's going to affect 24 and, and all of that stuff. It's a big case. It's a huge yeah. case. Um, I'm going to try to tune in for the arguments if I can because it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. My right. other Oh, you got another oh, one. Sorry. My bad. I got My another bad. one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. It's okay. I just wanted to note uh since I'm all about legal stuff today that um today the shooter the suspect in the shooting in Colorado Springs that um you know allegedly attacked the LGBTQ bar uh was charged today. Mm -hmm. It was a suspect's uh, second court appearance, and there are 305 criminal counts, wow. among them first-degree murder, attempted murder, bias-motivated crimes, hate crimes, assault with a deadly weapon, and lots of other things. And, you know, it's going to be a long, grinding process yeah. to justice, but it's at least getting going. Sure is. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's it for the news. Uh, and we will now move on to all y'all. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. Okay. Recently, I was talking about the joy of ice skating, even when I fall down and hurt myself. And we got this voice memo from a fellow ice skater. Hi there, this is Reed from Seattle. I just wanted to send out a quick thank you to Kimberly for the shout out for ice skating. Nice. I'm 66, and when I retired a little over a year ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to skate, even though I'd never been on the ice before. Wow. I highly recommend it for older people like me. It's great for balance, good aerobics, and a lot of fun. It's the closest this old man comes to flying. 
Thanks for all you do. Thanks for making us smart. So That's that is awesome. awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. Can I just, can I just, is nobody worried about reading like breaking a hip or something? So this is the funny thing. Like when I ask my friends, some of whom are older to come ice skating with me, they're like, oh no, I'm really worried about my ankles or I'm really yeah, worried whatever, about my yeah. knees and this, yeah. that, and the other. And, you know, Reed is out here saying that this know. is good for you. And so like, you know, I don't know. I guess just uh, keep going slow. Hold on to the railing until yep. you're ready, which is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. good luck, everybody out there on the ice. <laughs> totally. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, before we go, uh, we will leave you uh, with this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question, which is, what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? The answer this week comes from Nancy Red. She's the author of the children's book, The Real Santa, also a senior staff writer at Wirecutter, where she covers everything from bath bombs to Santa hats. Here hmm. you go. It's my favorite time of year, the season of giving. Tis better to give than receive has been a major mantra for me. And don't get me wrong, it's a great North Star to follow in life. But asking for help has always been my kryptonite. Due to a variety of factors, adulting, pandemic, family illness, the past two years have had me asking more people for help than I've asked in the past two decades. It was hard at first to become just as comfortable asking for help as I was giving it. But over time, it's become really cathartic seeing the benefits for everyone that comes with mutualistic relationships. So if you recognize yourself as you listen to this, go on, ask for help. You'd be amazed by how helpful it can be. So super hard to do. Super hard to do. <sighs> because I think we're taught that, like in our culture, that that's a failing yeah. if you ask for help. Yeah. And it's not. It's normal and life so yeah thank you for that yeah. that's a that's a really good one thanks nancy and, and uh, should you be looking by the way for uh wire cutters thoughts on santa hats a piece. <laughs> we're gonna put it on our show page she's got one uh all right so tell you what send us uh, your answer to the make me smart question no matter where you work or what you do or what your thoughts are on santa hats you can leave us a voicemail at 508-827-6278 or you can just do it by the letters 508-U-B-S-M-A-R-T. Yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Don't okay. Go ahead. Charles, yeah, you do right. I'll, I'll say it anyway. <laughs> say it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have a Friday happy hour, but it's going to be holiday-inspired economics on tap, and it'll be the last show of 2022. Drinks, games, more. Send me your holiday cocktails at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on the live stream. Make Me Smart is produced by Mercy Cabrera and Courtney Berg. Seeker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Charlton <laughs> Thorpe, who does whatever he wants to do. Beckham Wyman's going to mix it down later. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme our senior producer, Bridget Bodner, is on Million Bazillion. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and Marketplace's vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. Look, we made well, it we anyway. Made it in the music. That's right. That's right. <laughs> nice job. And Charlton's sitting there just, just shaking his head on the other side of the glass. He's like, it's in the script. The script says. Oh, my lordy me. It's all good. It's all good. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. 
I'm Rima Kreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.